Tonight, a notorious killer on the guest list. Growing outrage over an invitation to Saskatchewan's throne speech. Colin Thatcher's unexpected appearance. The fact this did not send up a red flag to anyone over there is shocking to me. And a government making no apologies. I don't understand what we'd be asking to apologize for. Australia, the first World Cup team to call out host country Qatar for human rights abuses. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. Silence from Canada. Canada soccer, um, completely missing in action. Plus, an alarming exodus of Canadian nurses. Now I'm going to Florida. Packing up for greener pastures south of the border. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina. Good evening, everyone. We begin with a call for answers in Saskatchewan after the government laid out a plan to fight crime and welcomed a convicted murderer to hear it in person. Colin Thatcher spent more than two decades behind bars for killing his wife, but that didn't stop one politician from giving him the prestigious invite. CTV's Joe Makishan is in Regina tonight. In the halls he once walked as a cabinet minister, Colin Thatcher, the convicted killer, mingled and chatted. An invited guest at Saskatchewan's throne speech. Order, order, call crime. A tough-on-crime agenda focusing on safer communities for families. The provincial government's message questioned today. The fact this did not send up a red flag to anyone over there is, is shocking to me. Just outside the door, steps from the Saskatchewan legislature, the scene of the crime. In 1983, Thatcher's ex-wife, Joanne Wilson, was found beaten and shot to death in the garage of her Regina home. Her death followed a bitter custody battle. Thatcher was convicted of first-degree murder and served 22 years. He's maintained his innocence. I'm saying that maybe they arrested me before they were ready, and then they just, there was just no turning back. The man who invited him to the legislature, Saskatchewan Party MLA Lyle Stewart, today issued a statement. It was my decision alone to invite Colin Thatcher, who was a constituent and longtime friend. In retrospect, that was an error in judgment. No apology from Stewart. Me? What would I apologize for? And no apology from Saskatchewan's Premier. This is an individual that invited someone. It wasn't a government that invited someone. I think we need to draw that, uh, that distinction. Difficult, advocates say, when Saskatchewan has the highest rate of intimate partner violence among all the provinces. When you've got 50% of women who have experienced domestic or sexual violence in their lifetime, 20% of men, this invitation to this person in such a public forum by someone that is there to represent the people just feels very disrespectful. The Premier said he does not vet people invited to the throne speech and he doesn't intend to in the future. The opposition leader said common sense is a good way to screen people invited inside this building, telling media today obviously that wasn't enough. Omar. Jill Mekashan in Regina tonight. Thank you. A northern Manitoba community is in mourning after four young children died in a house fire last night. One of the neighbors heard a lady screaming, and when they come out, uh, there was smoke coming out of the back of her house. By the time even the RCMP in that the house was uh, fairly was engulfed in uh, flames. The children, all under the age of 11, were trapped inside the home 
and later died in hospital. Their mother and two others escaped. The cause is under investigation. A troubling new portrait tonight of the tremendous financial burden families are facing as the cost of living soars. More Canadians are relying on food banks than ever before. Food Banks Canada says almost one and a half million people used a food bank in March, an all-time high, 15% higher than last March, and 35% higher compared to before the pandemic. Here's CTV's Vanessa Lee on the dire demand. The face of hunger is changing, and it's affecting those you may least expect. Employment is no longer an indicator of staying out of poverty. One in seven people turning to a food bank has a job, struggling to make ends meet because of the skyrocketing cost of groceries and housing and not enough social assistance. It's taking a toll on families. Children account for a third of clients. More seniors and students are also feeling stretched. I usually eat once a day, not thrice, so that I can manage it for the whole week. A record number of Canadians are asking for help. It's devastating to see people in a lineup waiting to get their food, not knowing if we're going to have enough food on our shelves to feed them. With unprecedented demand, food banks are counting on the support of those who are able to give, along with the efforts of volunteers to ensure no one goes hungry. We provide community meals a few times a week. Now serving meals. Carissa Davis knows firsthand what it's like to rely on them. That the first time that I went into a food bank was probably one of the most emotional days of my life. Um, I, it's, it's a really hard space to be when you have to admit that you need some help. A harsh reality in store for even more Canadians with the holidays fast approaching. I'm scared actually for what's to come for all of us. This, this represents our neighbours, our friends, our family who are having to make what we call impossible choices. As food banks do their best to keep up with demand, they say long-term solutions are urgently needed to address this crisis. Omar. Desperate situation, Vanessa. Thank you. And as gas prices also soar, oil giants like Shell are coming under greater scrutiny for their massive profits. Shell made a near-record $9.45 billion in the third quarter, more than double what it earned over the same period a year earlier. The company plans to use some of the cash to boost its dividend by 15%. But U.S. President Joe Biden says Shell should lower pump prices instead of rewarding shareholders. Outspoken billionaire Elon Musk now has an even louder voice after he officially acquired Twitter tonight, capping off a tumultuous transition for the social media company. Musk posted this video of him entering the company's headquarters yesterday, his first act after closing the $44 billion deal, firing three top executives. The host of the World Cup has long been under fire over its human rights record. And now with just three weeks to go, the Australian men's team is putting more pressure on Qatar. There's also a growing push for other countries, including Canada, which will appear in its first cup since 1986, to step up. Here's CTV's Heather Wright. We've seen the power of football. The Australian men's soccer team is calling out Qatar, highlighting what they say is the ugly reality of the country set to host the beautiful game. We have learned that the decision to host the World Cup in Qatar has resulted in the suffering and in the harm of countless of our fellow workers. This is the first team to collectively condemn Qatar's human rights record, including its treatment of migrant workers and the LGBTQ2S plus community. Addressing these issues is not easy. 
The Gulf state is estimated to have spent roughly $300 billion preparing for the World Cup, including new stadiums, roads and hotels. It will be the most expensive major sporting event in history. The cost has not just been financial. It's actually been in workers' lives, and these are migrant workers. Officials insist the number of migrant deaths is less than 50, but the International Trade Union Confederation estimates the figure could be as high as 7,000. Several human rights groups say Qatar has made progress in improving conditions, but are still calling for FIFA and Qatar to set up a remedy fund of at least $440 million. Compensation for serious abuses, including deaths, injuries, unpaid wages, and exorbitant recruitment costs. Seven major football associations, including England, Germany, and the United States, along with major sponsors Coca-Cola, Budweiser, McDonald's, and Adidas, have all publicly endorsed the fund. Canada soccer has not. It's embarrassing. And it's especially embarrassing for the next host of the World Cup. Human Rights Watch says at least six letters have been sent to Canada Soccer since April, asking for support. They say they have not received a single response. It's the least you can do is to learn about the, the stories of the workers who have built the infrastructure where you will stay and where your team will play. Canada Soccer did not respond to multiple emails today asking for comment. And neither FIFA nor Qatar have committed to supporting the fund. Omar. All right, Heather, thanks. The B.C. government is refusing to support an Indigenous-led bid to host the 2030 Olympics in their province because of the price tag. We felt we weren't respected enough um, to be a part of this decision with the province. Four First Nations wanted to host the event, estimated to cost in the billions, but B.C. said the risk wasn't worth it. Four Canadian national team members have filed a $5.5 million lawsuit against Water Polo Canada, alleging a toxic culture that lasted more than a decade. Here's TSN's Rick Westhead with the details. They'll be wearing the blue caps, Team Canada. The lawsuit says the former national team players were sexually harassed, threatened, and warned repeatedly to honour Water Polo Canada's, quote, circle of trust. We are under a microscope. We have to constantly like improve our performance. We're always critiqued, we're always criticized. And I think it's time that other stakeholders in this space do the same thing and look in the mirror and acknowledge their part in the system. Katrina Monton was a member of Canada's junior and senior national water polo teams for 14 years, starting when she was 15. She says some of Water Polo Canada's staff made a conscious choice to ignore abusive behaviour. It's a privilege to not have had to consider like the damage or the things that have been inflicted or done. I think it's a privilege to not have to look back on your own behaviour and adjust it and amend it in any way. So I've been de dealing with uh, depression, a lot of anxiety, um, post-traumatic syndrome, that's the word I need to, to say out loud. Um, and low self-esteem for my entire life. The allegations against a string of national team coaches include one who allegedly met athletes in his hotel room wearing only his underwear and on one occasion pressured them into waxing his back and chest hair. Another coach allegedly threatened athletes saying he would bring a shotgun or baseball bat to the pool to shoot or beat them if they perform poorly. Pat Oten who is now the men's senior national team coach, is alleged to have openly discussed his sex life with women's national team members. I would say that we were living in a culture where 
everything was just swept under the rug and ignored. We were kind of chess pieces in a game and we were all disposable. It was a culture that was, you know, willfully blind. Water Polo Canada's president said the organization will review the claim, but refused to respond to questions about whether it historically has rehired coaches and staff who've been previously fired following misconduct allegations. Omar? Rick Westhead, thank you. The RCMP commissioner says the federal government had complaints about Ottawa police and their response to the convoy protests. Text messages from Brenda Lucky to the OPP commissioner were revealed at the Emergencies Act inquiry today. Lucky wrote, the government of Canada is losing confidence in Ottawa police service and that she struggled to reassure ministers as protesters partied with, quote, bouncing castles in downtown Ottawa. Did you still have confidence in the OPS at this time? I was certainly aware of the challenges um, that they were experiencing. Documents released today also show the FBI was supporting Ottawa police, but the U.S. agency's specific role isn't clear. And there was little clarity on Canada's future role in containing a humanitarian crisis in Haiti after day one of Antony Blinken's first official visit to Canada. The U.S. Secretary of State made a direct pitch for boots on the ground. Here's CTV's Kevin Gallagher on the response. The U.S. Secretary of State arrived in Canada with concerns about a growing crisis in the Caribbean. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Haiti. It's such a pleasure to be here. America's top diplomat, Antony Blinken, wants Canada to contribute to a multinational task force that could put boots on the ground in Haiti. Where since September, armed gangs have seized control of large swaths of the country through intimidation and violence. But the purpose of any such mission would be to support the Haitian National Police in doing their jobs to make sure that uh, the state, once again, actually controls uh, the country. Both Canada and the U.S. sent armored vehicles and other supplies to Haiti earlier this month. Canada currently has a team on the ground assessing the situation, but the troubled country is asking for more assistance. And more than ever, Haiti needs us. And so, of course, we will play a role. It's not clear what that role will be. Canada has sent peacekeepers in the past, but without help soon, Haitian-Canadian Gerard Etienne is concerned the instability will only get worse. And I think the Canadian government, if it's really serious, needs to look at over the next 10 years, how do you rebuild Haiti and its public service? Without a public service that functions, Haiti cannot function. Still, some in Canada's Haitian diaspora distrust foreign troops, saying past deployments have only made corruption and abuse worse. That's all we are asking. No intervention. It's not helping. Most Haitians in Canada call Montreal home. And tomorrow, Secretary Blinken and Minister Jolie will visit the city to tour a lithium recycling company. Omar. Kevin, thank you. A B.C. woman who left Canada seven years ago to marry an ISIS fighter has been released from custody tonight. Kimberly Pullman was let out under strict bail conditions. She was arrested in Montreal yesterday after returning from a detention camp in northeastern Syria. When we come back... They compensate nurses very nicely. Burnt out and fed up, Canadian nurses heading south of the border. Plus, a prologue to Prince Harry's highly anticipated memoir.
The pandemic in Canada has exposed critical shortages on the front lines. And tonight, there is an urgent new concern that those who remain are picking up and packing up for America. CTV's John Woodward explains. Toronto ER nurse Emily Pike has packed her bags. She's en route to a new job in the United States. I'm going to Florida. Pike says she's burnt out, caring for up to six patients at once. You have to get medication for them, all that, but then you have another patient, they're more mental health, and they're trying to escape the hospital or something, and you, you're one person. Like, how are you supposed to go and do all of that at once? A symptom of a shortage that's resulted in temporary closures of ERs and hospital wards across the country. Pike isn't alone. Figures show the number of Canadian nurses applying for visas to work in the U.S. has doubled in five years, from just over 800 to almost 1,700 this year. The pattern that we're seeing is that it is increasing year over year. The pandemic caused a global nursing shortage, fostering fierce competition for workers. Even the full-time permanent roles are paying a good $15, $20 an hour more than what you'd be making in Canada. And then the sign-on bonuses, $10,000, $20,000. Canadian wages aren't rising compared to the U.S., but are high compared to many other countries, attracting a pool of foreign nurses. The challenge is licensing them. You know what? It's really bad. Um, it's not getting better. Uh, nurses, we're really short of nurses. It's having a big impact on healthcare. Ontario's nursing regulator says it's licensed almost 4,000 internationally trained nurses this year. And to stabilize a struggling system, new rules allow foreign nurses to bypass the bureaucracy and reinforce the wards while they wait for their paperwork. Other provinces have added incentives to come out of retirement and hundreds of new spots in nursing schools. But Pike says American money and work-life balance is luring those graduates too. Nursing associations are pushing for new ways to retain nurses here, like improving working conditions and a national mental health strategy. But keeping nurses when other countries can outbid Canadian wages could be a challenge. Omar? All right, John, thank you for this tonight. Still ahead, parents call for change after a teenager who struggles to communicate is met with handcuffs. Parents of a teenager with autism are pleading for change after their son was arrested in a playground in Alberta. Neighbors reported a person on drugs, but the boy who struggles to communicate was only playing. Here's CTV's Alberta Bureau Chief Bill Fortier. This is it, and he goes right to the swings. These parents have been taking their son here his entire life. He's such it's... a docile person, like he genuinely is. 16-year-old Riley Bowman has autism. The playground behind his grandparents' backyard is one place he gets some independence. He's never had an issue. My, my parents never thought anything of letting him go over there. Earlier this month, that sense of security was shattered when they got a call from Riley's grandparents. And she's like, Laura, I don't want you to panic, but Riley's gone. They called RCMP, who told them Riley had been arrested. We're talking about a 16-year-old, yeah. absolutely harmless autistic child. Like, you don't apprehend that person. Mounties didn't apologize, but did offer an explanation of what triggered the response. Several 911 calls of an individual who was displaying erratic behavior also was described as what would be um, potentially impaired. Anyone that meets him, I've never had anyone think that he was on drugs. Riley's language skills are so limited he's considered nonverbal. His parents say he wouldn't have been able to respond to police. You can't yell at him or else he just like goes inside of himself. Riley was taken to hospital after hurting himself during the arrest. 
His family says he's still dealing with the trauma. Like we don't know what happened, but he does say police hurts. Alberta's police watchdog is investigating. The incident has led to calls for better officer training. I think as always, education is the key and Autism Edmonton is ready and willing to provide that. Riley's parents say he hasn't been willing to come back to this park since the incident. They're hoping with therapy and time, he'll eventually feel comfortable here again. Bill Fortier, CTV News, St. Albert, Alberta. And after the break. Doesn't sound like it's going to be sweetness and light, this story. What will Prince Harry reveal in his new memoir? The memoir that is reportedly making Buckingham Palace nervous now has a release date and a title revealed today to the world. Prince Harry's book, Spare, will come out in January. Here's CTV's Danielle Hamamjan with what's known about the contents. Prince Harry, the second son known not as the heir but the spare, is now behind a book that bears the same name. The publisher's description, raw and unflinching. The spare, it says, is full of insight, revelation and self-examination. It'll be out in 16 languages on January 10th before the coronation of his father, who, just like the rest of the royal family, has reportedly not been given a chance to read its content. There's going to be, I suspect, an element of whinging in this book, which I think, you know, we've kind of got the message now. And if he was to come out with some deep, dark secrets about the royal family that we don't know, I would think that would reflect very badly on him. What we do know is that his story will begin on a day that produced what the publisher calls one of the most searing images of the 20th century. Two young boys walking behind their mother's coffin as the world watched in sorrow. The Duke of Sussex is said to have tried to tone down his memoir in recent weeks. One British newspaper is reporting that he feared his final draft would not go down well after the Queen's death. It doesn't sound like it's going to be sweetness and light, this story. It's going to be, I was the spare, not the one that was wanted. I feel, it has a feeling of that. Much of the spare will be about his feelings, Harry's side of the story, in Harry's words. Danielle Hamamjan, CTV News, London. 416 pages. We will see what is in them. And that is a snapshot of this Thursday. Anne-Marie Medawake will be here tomorrow. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching and good night. CTV National News, Canada's number one newscast.